And this idea that we are the ones who decide what's true and we make our judgments is false. We're not objective that way. We're not objective about anything. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 14, verses 12 to 31. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even in the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, and I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has commandments, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's turn to the word now. I okay. Where are we? Where are we? We're in John four. Where are we? We're in John fourteen. I uh, I went to the scriptures this week, and I've been. Uh, it's my habit to to kind of live inside of a text for a long. I like to live inside what I'm going to preach on because I I want it to get to me. If it doesn't get to me, how am I going to get it to you? You know, if it doesn't invade here, if it doesn't affect here. If there's not a motion here, how, how's it going to go out? And so um, I, I have this image, uh, and I do remember this when I first, uh, my first Center City Church, um, of opening a fire hydrant. 
And, and if you haven't lived in a, living in the city, especially, you know, how many of you kids, any of you grow up as a kid in the city? Anybody have a kid get opening the fire hydrant? Every child for four square blocks would show up because that fire hydrant was open. And when it was open, of course, it shoots 30 or 40 feet before it lands and then it begins to fill the street. And it, you know what I want? You know what I want? I want to have that image. Do you know what I want? I want the Holy Spirit to do that here with us. Not only do I want him to do it with us, I'm experiencing it this week. So I'm in the text, I'll be in it. And I, 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 was, it was, I make this joke. I, I think it was you, Corey, somebody I was talking to somebody uh, this week. And I told them, they asked me, how did your morning go? And I think it was you, Nat. I said, I wrote three sermons this morning. <laughs> because literally as I'm writing and I'm like writing in it, and then all of a sudden all this stuff flows out. And then I'm like, okay, that's great, that's great. And then another one, oh, that, all this stuff flows out. And you'll, you'll see it, we're going to be in the Holy Spirit for the next four weeks. Oh, that we would be in the Holy Spirit the rest of our lives. <laughs> you get that? So that, so, oh, but we're going to be in the Holy Spirit. We're going to be in touching who he is, asking him to touch us, asking him to make himself clear to us over and over again, because he inhabits this text. And so that fire hydrant, if, if God blesses me, I'm hopefully opening it up and, and spray, it'll be spraying out and, you, and just get a cup, try to get in there and get a little bit of something to drink. And let's pray that. But you know what? Even as I say that, I'm, I, no, you know, I'm going to correct myself. I do not want any of you to manage this information. I don't want you to receive information about the Holy Spirit and be like, yeah, I could take. No, I want you to not be able to manage this, Corey. <laughs> I want you to fall down on your face. I want us to fall down in humble reverence and, well, all those things I want. I can't create them, though, can I? I can hoop and holler. I can yell and shout and scream and cuss and all that, but ain't going to make a difference. Oh, what's this? That's, I don't want that. All right. It's the Holy Spirit that we have to seek. So, how shall we get there? He's all, he, first, we will go there by talking about Trinity. And the reason all I did here, all I did here, I, except for the first person singular, I, the capital I, 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 I tried to, 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 to bold every reference to Jesus, to himself, to the Father, and to the Holy Spirit. Just kind of squint. Look how many bold, I know it's not really truth this way, but if you kind of squint, you kind of like, wow, Jesus is talking a lot about what? The Trinity. He's talking a lot about the Trinity. And, and, he, and, and I don't know how to describe this. And maybe you catch it in the tones and the, and the cadences and the, in the narrative. But Christ inhabits the Trinity. He does, it's not like he adds it on. It's not like he comes. It's like he lives it. He, he's describing his context to you. He, he's describing to you as best as he can because he's lisping to, to mortal men of frail minds and frail hearts and frail understanding. And, and, and what is he doing? He's, he, he's, he's, he's living as Trinity. And this visually just makes it pop. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now... I have some questions here, though, and I want to begin with this because I don't want to assume anything. Like, like I say, if you walked in here and you had no idea what Christianity was, and I said the word Trinity, you might think there's a great book by Leon Uris called Trinity, isn't there? It was about, about uh, the Middle East. It's about organizations that are where Trinity. It could, isn't there another Trinity uh, popular? Wasn't it somebody, some popular character's name's Trinity and some sci-fi? 
In the Matrix, thank you. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. And so Trinity, and so I, this is, that, that, that's perfect. The Matrix is a perfect illustration because I don't want you to misunderstand the word. And it's very possible if you don't know what Trinity is, you just kind of sit there going, I don't, sure, that's some Christianized concept. Maybe it's a good sci-fi concept too, Chris. Maybe you're thinking that. What is Trinity? And as you begin to think about Trinity, some of you might even ask the question a little more profoundly, why is eternity a trinity? God presents himself as God, eternal, immortal, and, and, and invisible, the only wise God. He presents himself as eternal, unchangeable. He, uh, and, and here he is, he presents himself, but then he also presents himself in this confusing way. Right, just going back a little bit, that's potentially kind of confusing. The he, the him, the who, the what, the father, the sons. It, it, if you're, it's a little bit bewildering, right? And so we could ask ourselves this question, because everywhere it's everywhere present, why is eternity a trinity? And um, I'm asking the question just so you know I've asked the question because there's no answer. Uh, in other words, we, we're getting to irreducible facts. We're getting down to like, what's, what is the, what's inside an atom? <laughs> Protons, electrons, neutrons. Wait, we, can go a little, we can go a little further now with quarks. We can't go any further. There's, there's limits. All of a sudden you hit this limit with scientific investigation, let's say. But now we're hitting this limit intellectually, uh, re revelationally from the scriptures. We're hitting a limit. And we're, we, we, we can't go any further. This is who he is. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, world without end. What's your response? Amen. All right, praise him. Right. Play it. Believe. Worship. Fall down on your face if you grasp it, when you begin to understand it and see it. But there's no way for me to go deeper than this, is, is what I'm saying. This is irreducible. It is the way God presents himself. Now, why is eternity a trinity? Some philosophers have said, isn't this interesting? If God is one and God is three persons, we have the one and the many. And if you know your philosophy, you remember your, your intro to philosophy class, that's a major philosophical problem. But I don't even bother with that. But why is eternity trinity? We are at ultimate facts. I can't go any further, but I must preach to you God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If I do not, then I'm a liar. The truth is not in me. Who is eternity as trinity? Now, this is a more important question for us. Not why, but who is eternity as trinity? It is God. Now, what I'm going to do here is we're going to work through this, and, and, and you're going to participate by reading this. This is, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll cue you for by asking the questions, and there'll be three questions one way or another. We're engaged right now in what's called creedal Christianity. Have you ever heard that? No creed but Christ. Has anybody ever heard that? No creed but Christ. You may have heard that. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. We have, as a community of faith, from the beginning, and the Greeks took it up, and then after the Greeks, it was the Europeans, after the Europeans, it keeps going on, and it, has been, it was shaped by argument and discussion and tremendous investigation and thinking, and, and then church meetings again and again, the church hammered out a truth. And this is it. Who the eternity is as Trinity. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth, and love. Now, 
what, what, is, what, what did you just quote? The Westminster Confession of Faith. And in 1647, when they began to write these questions to instruct people like us, you and me, about what God is and stuff like that, they were grasping, they were reaching back in time about a thousand years to the Nicene Creed, 1,200 years. Now let's ask the next one, the next question that follows in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. You are being catechized right now. Now the catechism continues, who is eternity as Trinity, and it continues because this truth has to be made clear. You see all of that, there is but one only, one God. This is one God, not three. One God, indivisible. One God, but three persons. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. A couple, a couple weeks ago, we did this question in worship, and I, I translated this stuff, and people chuckled. But, but, that, but that's all substance means. It's stuff. What is God, what's the stuff of God? What's his stuff? Well, the stuff he is, this eternal stuff that he is, he tells us he is, comes in three Flavors, three persons. I don't know how to describe this. And, and, and right now, what have I done? I've just said something. I haven't proved it. I haven't really demonstrated. I haven't explained it. And I really can't. So I'm preaching. I'm telling. I'm proclaiming. <laughs> I'm just going, this is it. You don't like it? Take a hike. No. If you don't like it, I don't say take a hike. If you don't like it, correct your thinking. Bring yourself into line, not only with the scripture, but with the spirit, not only with the spirit, but with the story of Christianity from the beginning, because all believers, as they have wrestled and tried to understand this, have come to these same conclusions across time, across culture, and across all other things. Now, having said all this, I want to say one more little thing. It's very popular right now for people to say, the Trinity is um, an invention of Greek Christianity. It's very popular. You'll meet teachers. They, they'll come to the city. They'll come visit churches. And they'll tell you, we should discard these old ideas of the Trinity. And, and I just want to say something right now and be very clear to you. If anybody says any of that, run away from them. Don't engage in a discussion or a conversation. Because such a person is out of alignment with the work of God across time and space in the scripture. They do not know his power. Don't have anything to do with people who want to refigure the Trinity. Because they're in deep error. And, uh, and from time to time, you'll see people that will change their, even, you know, who, you know who changed their view of the Trinity in our church? But it came to Christ because she was not a Christian before. You cannot be a Christian and not, and not ultimately believe this. It was Sharon. And it was Sharon Town. When she came up to me, she first Sunday here, she came up to me and she said, I want to ask you a question, Pastor. I, I... I learned about God in a Jehovah's Witness church in China. And they don't, you're saying that Jesus is God. And I said, you are correct. You have understood me. You have understood what I have said, because that is what the scriptures teach. And then she said, I thought that's what my Bible said, but they told me I was wrong. But she became a believer because the Holy Spirit revealed this to you. Now, I leave the tour and this truth. This truth's living. So now, having said, I'm, I'm kind of building a case here because what's going to happen is 
I, I've been, we've been dialing into this one text in that day. Let's say it's today. It's because this is that day. It's the day after he is gone, after the day he has ascended. In that day, and it encompasses modernity in this hour, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And what I've been claiming is that this weird string of statements means something very important. It means that we, the Trinity now for us, you see, is not an abstraction removed from us, but the Trinity now for us is an invitation. And that's such a weird concept. In other words, all right, let's say Father and Son and Spirit are not having a club and they're saying, hey, this is who we are. Too bad for you all. Right? And let's face it, who likes a click? Who wants to, even if it's an eternal one? Well, clicks, just clicks don't make us feel good. They don't make us feel like we belong. And but then what's beautiful, the Trinity is actually, the way Christ expresses his triune personhood is in the form of invitation. You, Rochelle, are allowed in. And this truth, this reality, this idea that this is the true inner claim of spiritual Christianity and biblical Christianity blows the socks off evangelicalism. It blows the socks off the church. It suddenly makes us realize that the things we've been thinking and claiming and wondering are far more wondrous than we guessed. And that the Holy Spirit is that on, is an entree, is a, is a, not entree, is not the word, an entrance. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I guess he's an entree over there, but that's a different. I said, I'm mixing my metaphors. Uh, but he is, I, I, I use, but he is an entrance. He is the, he is the one who, he greases the wheels, as it were, into this. Now I'm going to look at this. We're going to look at, now right this moment, this language is what I want us to look at. Guys, he is called, now the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. The power, how many of you have heard that word before? If you have some subversion, yeah. This, is a, it's, this has become a fairly Christianized kind of, when people want to tell you about Jesus or the Holy Spirit, they'll bring this up because it's such a strong word. It almost looks like the word paralegal. You see that? And actually, that's probably the closest, God, closest one to it. Paralegal, somebody who works alongside legal. And by the way, paraclete, in the early, in the early Greek language, had meant advocate or somebody at court. But Called alongside is what it's verbal, it's verbal meaning, it's verbal content is very plain. Called alongside. Now these translations, one right after another, are interpretive. Can you see it? Called alongside. And people are trying to reach into, well, if the Holy Spirit's alongside you, what's he doing? Is he making you comforting? Comforting you, encouraging, uh, uh, advocating for you, being a true friend, a champion? Uh, uh, yes, all of these things. Yes, yes, and more. But there's something about this that I, there's a, there's a beautiful part of the spirit that's, that's at work here. And, and I, let's keep going. I'll, I'll, here's, the, here's the text where he's called helper. And by the way, only John, only John as an author calls him this and uses this word. But then he, finally he uses it to talk about Jesus right here. He is an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So he is called a paraclete and so is the Holy Spirit. All right, that gets a little confusing. Why would one member of the Trinity, why would, the, why would Jesus be called a paraclete and the Holy Spirit even more so, three times as opposed to once? Why, 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 this, why this confusion? Because of that special work of the Holy Spirit. 
he reduplicates the work of Christ because he delivers the work of Christ. He de- I would call him the holy router. Where's there, is there a router around here? Where is it? Can we see it? Is it? We can't even see it in this room, can we? Is it, is it, up, is it on the wall? Oh, it's on the it's for the, it's that big thing sideways right there. All right, we found it. it. A lot of times you can't see it, but it doesn't really matter because we can't even see what it's doing. And what I mean is that is a delivery set point for here, right? Right at this moment, the uh, information's being routed and, and delivered for us. And that, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You see, Christ wants to bring to you, let's say, forgiveness, his joy, the cross, and cleansing for, for Johnny. Life, and Christ wants to bring his presence and his joy and his worship for Peter. He wants to bring his comfort and a sense of his, of his love, and he's taking care of everything in Melody's body, everything she's worried about for her pregnancy, right? Who delivers the Holy Spirit? Who delivers Christ for her and her comfort? Or delivers Christ in worship? Or delivers to Johnny a knowledge he has saved from his sin? Who, who delivers this and makes it alive? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the delivery boy. He's constantly arriving. And I, and, and I know that, and I know every time I say it, you're just kind of like, is that, how do we describe an eternal God as a delivery boy? Well, the eternal son called himself a door. You know, I mean, it, these humble images are meant to, to give you, uh, get, get God access to truth deep inside your life, deep into the guts of your life so you understand it. And that's why Christ says the spirit's like a wind. It's like air. You, know, you see air comes by and things float and this doesn't fall flat. It, it, around the, it, it floats around the air and the air affects as it falls. That's what the Holy Spirit's like. The Holy Spirit's like that, that present factor that you cannot perceive. It's like this, it's almost like you could say factor X. He's always there, but you don't know what he is. Or what, 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 what shape he's taking. Or what sound he is conveying that, that worship or a knowledge of grace or a knowledge of his comfort to you. But that's what he does again and again and again. And what we find is that the reason you can call Christ an advocate and you, and, or a paraclete and you can call the Holy Spirit a paraclete is because they, the Holy Spirit delivers Jesus. So what do we find? The work of the Holy Spirit has these four characteristics. First, it is invisible. These things are happening in a spiritual way. And it, 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 it's, uh, it's so often you, you wouldn't know. You know, I, I, it's funny. I, you can't look and see and know, is that the Holy Spirit right there? I'm sure this, this is it. And he doesn't take that kind. Of, he's not visible in his work to us and in us. Second, the work of the Spirit is transitive. He delivers. He trans. He, he, he's like he's like a transfer transportation uh, 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 of the Holy Spirit delivers you into Jesus and us into the Trinity and all the Trinity into us. And as he has a transitive work of constantly delivering back and forth. Third, he is personal. The Holy Spirit isn't a force. Never think of him that way. Never imagine you are in relationship with the Spirit, or you're not. If you know God, you are actually in relationship with the Spirit. It's a living, communing knowledge of one another. He can be known. That's part of the language that's used in the text. And finally, the Holy Spirit is extraordinarily practical. It's like where the rubber hits the road concept. It's like, if we're going to get down to brass tacks with the things of Mark, it's so it, how many of you forget the sermon by Tuesday? If I, were to, if I were to poll you Wednesday and say, what did I preach about on Sunday? 
not uh, hardly one of you be able to say, oh, "I know." You just don't know. You know we, we we're forgetful. We're we're we're, we're you know trouble comes and things. Well, how do we take the truth and make it practical, make it living, make it apply to our work, our job, our family, our lives, our hearts, or what we look at, what we buy, what we eat? How do we, oh, this is what the Holy Spirit does. He makes things real, makes things practical, tangible, tasteable, real, and applicable to our lives. It is practical knowledge of God. Now, what we are going to see in this text is the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, he's called the spirit. It's the name that John uses, by the way. He uses it several times. Another title, that's what we're going to look at today. The next title is the spirit of adoption. That's what we'll look at next week. We also have the spirit of intercession. The spirit of adoption is right in the text. Mary says, I don't leave you as orphans. Spirit of adoption. Spirit of intercession. I will ask the Father, he will give his helper. And he is the spirit of intercession. We learned in Romans 8. Romans 8 is actually based on this text, or this text is based on Romans 8, one or the other. And the spirit of holiness, he delivers holiness. What is his name? The Holy Spirit, right? And in this text, all sorts of holiness. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And the Holy Spirit's the engine that gets that, that, gets that train moving. He gets that moving so that obedience is possible now because of his presence. Now, The spirit of truth, he is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And you see the spirit comes, I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness. The spirit of truth comes, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. error. And we, we're going to, all right, let's take a look here. Now, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about the Holy Spirit? Any ideas? Um... This is the point at which I am helpless. I'm, I'm, I'm moving right now to my help, most helpless point in the sermon. I, in a sense, I, I can't go any further with you. You need to right now, in your heart, ask the Holy Spirit to take this truth further into you. Like, I'm just, I described a lot of theology, and I can see a lot of sleepiness in my So I'm kind of like, yeah, I think I've heard some of this before, and sure, and, you know, and I, I kind of like, yeah, Chris, this is called kind of vaguely interesting in a religious kind of sort of way. But uh, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get it? it to, 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 to either take you into the eternal presence of God or to take his eternal presence into your Tuesday <laughs> and your Wednesday, into your life now, that's the part I can't do. Oh, but I can maybe help you think about it. Maybe I can help you think about it and understand it. Or maybe I can help you want it. Maybe I can help you seek it. Maybe, I'll, maybe together we could be seeking it. He is the spirit of truth. And the first way, the first way I, I conjugate is he is not the spirit of experience. Let's go back here. He is not the spirit of... When people tell you they're a Holy Spirit truth, what does that almost always seem to mean? People are hopping up and down and talking funny. People are hopping up and down and talking funny. I mean, and they're excited and they're enthusiastic and, and they claim that God has spoken through them immediately and they, they declare things as if they're speaking for God and there's a, a Holy Spirit kind of this. And it's odd to me because he is not the spirit of radical experience, is he? He is the spirit of truth. And all of a sudden, as if we were to present you the Holy Spirit, the only way you could truly understand him would be to understand he is, delivers truth.
truth. And isn't it interesting, or isn't it kind of sad maybe, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a victory of our enemy to reduce the Spirit to what? Well, I only know the Holy Spirit if I feel something. Or I only know the Holy Spirit if I've had the experience that gets me ecstatic or excited. I only know the Holy Spirit if I sing the song five, six, maybe eight times. That's where the Holy Spirit is. He's right there in that moment of transcendent. And, and, and that is not the Holy Spirit described in the Bible, is it? Because he is the Spirit of truth. He's not the spirit of experience. And those of us who make him, make him, uh, and, and the churches that make him, uh, make him such, uh, like he's some sort of like, he's the, he's, I don't know how you describe it. It's almost like he's the, he's the cheerleader or something. Like he's like, like his job is to get us all excited or his job is to whoop us up. So we feel something and experience something. The Holy Spirit delivers tremendous personal experiences to the people of God. Praise Him. But that is merely a result of Him being the Spirit of truth to begin with. In other words, as we love, as we seek for, as we want it, as we, today, right in this moment, I asked you to pray for the Holy Spirit. And many of us are like, gee, I hope I have an experience. I wonder if I'll feel something. Isn't that the first thing you think? It's never like, well, I'm going to pray. For, maybe I'll feel something now. You see, see how quickly our hearts, our minds, and our thinking has been conditioned by these, these ideas? And that is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he delivers on that truth. And in fact, uh, the scriptures were written by what? People under the influence and power and authority and work of the Holy Spirit. All right, well, but then, all right, not, only, not only is he not the spirit of experience, but I, there's something about this title, Spirit of Truth, that says something about truth, too. Who just said he was the truth? Jesus. Man, this goes back to my argument, in the way, the truth, and the life, that the Spirit, what? Delivers Jesus. He's the Spirit of truth. He's the Spirit of Jesus. Delivers Jesus to you, to us. But uh, this tells us something about truth, too. In other words, how do you think about truth? You think about truth like there's some facts out there I need to get my hands on. Don't you think that there's some facts out there, if you knew them, they'd help you? If I have the right facts, I have a mind, Chris. If I have the right facts, I can get to A or B or C or D in my conclusions or my thinking. <laughs> but don't, please hear me here. You are not the great purveyor of truth. You are not the one who decides what is true and what is not. Truth is not your possession. It is the personal property of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> there is no truth out there for you to discover. There's only, a, look, there's a truth that God has to take from your, heart, your head to your heart, right? And that's, uh, some people have said that's the longest distance in the world between your head and your heart, right? <laughs> between a tr truth you know and a truth you practice or feel or alive with. And this idea that we are the ones who decide what's true and we, we make our judgments is false, it's actually completely false. We're not objective that way. And the more we study human personality, the more we find we're not objective about anything. We are as malleable. We are, you ever heard of anchoring? You ever heard of anchoring? Uh, the last two digits of my social security number are 13. Anybody higher than that? Anybody higher than that? Anybody higher? Last two digits of your social. Don't worry, nobody's going to hire. Anybody in the 90s? Anybody in the There you go. Now. They had, they had tests they've done over and over and over and over and over again where somebody writes down the last two digits of their social security number. 
As they write it down, I would write down a 13, and Adele would write down 90-something, right? Now, they, we write those down in the, in the psychological test, and then a few minutes later, you'd be asked to guess how many jelly beans were in a jar. Just a guess. Just guess how many jelly beans are in this jar. And what they found over and over and over again is if you put a low number, like I would, 13, I would tend to guess what? Less. I'm not objective. The minute I hear a low number, my mind would totally go that, and everything I would think after that in that, in that frame of time, in that time period, I would begin to calibrate lower. If you don't believe this is true, go and study it. Uh, thinking fast and slow is one of the best uh, explorations. And, and, and the, by the way, the advertising companies know how true this is. <laughs> they know how true it is. Why do you think everything st- ends with the, the number 99 on the end? 799. Because whenever we hear large numbers, we, we, we are not bothered by larger numbers on top of it. And because she had a 90-something, she would have guessed more jelly beans than me. Just because she can't... Adele never sits in an objective place. I never sit in an objective... Look, you think you're the one who knows everything at work. You're not. Or you think they're one that really gets how things are working. No, you're not. Don't be so arrogant and proud of your self-understanding. He is the spirit of truth. Truth is not your possession, it's his. But as we kind of massage this, how about the truth of Scripture? The Holy Spirit. Now, I want to, I want to, golly, this is, gets me excited. Because if we say that the Holy Spirit fills the Scripture, he is the spirit of truth, then think about how, how you can understand this. If you ever go to a church that doesn't, doesn't focus on the Scripture, it doesn't that say they don't believe the scripture is true, or they tell you that you ought not, the scriptures are, are, are full of errors. Do you know the first thing you know? They don't have the Holy Spirit. I want you to get this, I want this to get into your heart. Because, because the scriptures have been delivered to us as the word of a God, word of our God, a personal word of love to us. Anyone who denies any part of it does not have the Holy Spirit. People, folks who neglect it or, or who say, oh, that part we don't read or this part we don't apply, don't listen to them either. Now, the scriptures are certain parts of the scriptures that tell you, well, we don't sacrifice to, to, uh, uh, lambs anymore because we have the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. But we, are, we're, we believe that because we're listening to what? The scripture, not human opinion. And so, and so the scripture interprets the scripture. And we are so invested here. Have nothing, let's put it this way. If any church ever tells you to do something that the scripture says are not true because the spirit led you. The spirit can never contradict himself. Otherwise, he's just not the spirit of truth. <laughs> he has, in other words, not become his name. He's no longer inhabiting the title. He's no longer delivering on, the, on, the, on, that, on that reality for us. Uh, guys, this is a treasure for us. Don't trust churches or preachers or any, any person who, whoever, ever, sends you away from the scripture. But now instead, what? Use it as a guide. I was one, it was actually, there was, this, there, was a, there was this beautiful thing here. We know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Um, he is the one, and actually there's some other language in here. He brings things to remembrance and he teaches us. He'll bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. And, uh, he, and uh, he will teach you. This is really, really beautiful, beautiful language. The reason I, I wanted to, to focus on this is this final idea of, 
well, the, the fake news problem, right? <laughs> just, I don't know what's true. You know, in, you know, in the midst of this impeachment process in which our whole nation is in so much disarray and voices yelling from both sides of the aisle, right? And both sides of the, and you have no, how do you know? How do you know? And, and I mean, honestly, you could listen to Fox News and if you listen to it long enough, be convinced. And then listen to MSNBC long enough and you're convinced the other way. And you can go back and forth and back and forth in your brain. And it's, it's frustrating, it's confusing. But then we're being inv- invited into the presence and power of the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father, who helps us discern truth from error. And there's something that happens here. When the Holy Spirit's got you and got the Word in you, you become somebody who can remember and understand it in all sorts of moments. You know, this is why memorization is not something I want to a chore. It's, it's a way of you enacting the Holy Spirit into your daily life. For the words you memorize are the very words you remember. And the words that teach you and instruct you about whether it's a good idea for you to have answered that phone call or not. Or have gone and with, met with that person that you know you shouldn't have met with. Or the, or the insecurities you feel about work and the way you put those insecurities on others when you're frustrated. Or the way that you quit and the way the doubts of your own heart are you're punishing everybody else with your doubts and your fears about your life and about your future. Enter the spirit of truth. Who can help us discern from, truth from error. In fact, I think what happens in a very beautiful way is uh, it's almost like uh, if you if, when the more you're in your scripture and the more you're in prayer and the Holy Spirit fills those things, you develop antenna. You just do. You do. I know it's kind of weird to imagine that I've got the, these big spiritual antenna out here. You know, it's a picture of this, and it's it's like feeling out Eric. Is Eric okay? I'm smelling Eric with my my spiritual antenna. You know, and I, but then I think it's real. And it's funny, I think what I notice is what happens for me when I'm out of prayer or when I'm out of fellowship and when I'm out of the word, when I'm out of the places where the Holy Spirit is, the spirit of truth, my antenna gets smaller. It feels like it gets clumsier. I can't quite easily, wait, is that wrong or right? Like my, my, I don't have a point in me like, oh, wait, I know that's wrong. And, I, and like you don't have that immediate sense. And we, that antenna, that apparatus, that all those, that, that thinking, feeling thing that your conscience has filled by the Spirit in the Word. You know, it, when, it, when, it, when, it, when you don't pay attention to it and it gets rusty, you find yourself in places you shouldn't be, doing things you shouldn't do, looking at things you shouldn't look at, saying things and whispering things to people at work you shouldn't have said with a heart that doesn't work. And then you wonder, well, why am I so insensitive? That's why, Johnny. But I want to go a step further, and I want to close with this. But this final work of the Spirit is what gets me the most excited. Because you see, the Holy Spirit means to take you and me and put it, you in God. Do you realize what that means for your prayer life? When we look at the... I, for your holiness. Hmm. But look at this. I think the greatest work of the Spirit is to turn Jack into these things. And Mia. And Miguel. And Melody. And me. You see, the work of the Spirit's uncanny. 
The Holy Spirit of truth and what he does is he brings out the truth, the truth that is so astounding. This woman was reborn by his power. How was Christ born? We read it earlier. How was Christ conceived? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Same with her in her new life, in her new birth. Now, how shall she continue? But under the power of that same spirit, right? But what will that spirit now create in her? A new kind of person who does things a new way. And I do hear it. This is the life of love. Do you, this is the evangelist that transforms people around them. This is the mom whose kids begin to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the father whose sons will call on him when they're old. This is, this is the church. This is the people. These are the leaders. This is somebody, this is you at work. Does your boss know you as advocate, true friend and champion? Do your employees, the people who work with you, people at school and their teachers and the places you've been habit. And there's an idea here that we are just so different because we are truly inhabited by the spirit of truth, you see? And that these truths about him become truths about us. And oh, and, and you know what happens? We sometimes it makes us kind of invisible. <laughs> We're kind of transitive. We're just bringing them to something else. But I tell you what I love about this portrayal of evangelism this way, or love and discipleship, or leadership, is because this, this is powerful and beautiful and transformative, isn't it? All these translations for Paraclete are the same adjectives. I would use to describe Sarah <laughs> and the way she cared for me when everything fell apart in my life. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the spirit of truth inhabiting first press meant on a Yelp page, oh, you know how I describe them, P, those people? <laughs> it's a room full of comfort comforters who give me more courage, who, who are on my side, who are true friends and champions. I leave their helped and strengthened. I leave these, oh, and this now becomes the fertile ground of new revival community. You see, if we will become a revival community, call on this. Did, did, you, did you in your heart ask the Holy Spirit to enter you at the moment I asked? I hope you did. Because we need more and more of this work, you see. More and more of this ground torn up. More and more of his objective truth taking our subjective experience and making it something new and making us something new. Praise him. I think, let's pray. Dear Father, you are a good God and you are a good, a good Savior. And, and Holy Spirit, I pray you come and start doing that work now. Bring us Jesus. Be our, our helper, comforter, strengthener, encourager, friend, advocate, and champion. Yes, Father, be all these things. Let the Spirit be all these things in us. Let us be all these things by his power in a weary world full of pain and falsehood. I don't know what it, it must be so hard to live in this generation, Father, not knowing what's true or if anything is true. I know that if, if you look on kindness on San Francisco and our generation and us, you will pour out the Holy Spirit. And we ask for that work now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. On the night our Savior was betrayed, he took bread. He took bread and broke it. 
And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also had taken a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. We have wine juice here to the right and 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 a wine, I'm sorry, to the right and grape juice to the left for those whose conscience or taste prefers it. Um, this is gluten-free bread here in that in the tray. Um, this is inconsequential and meaningless unless the Holy Spirit is in it. Unless the Holy Spirit delivers this truth. What truth? Jesus died for sinners. That fun that first truth, right? So if you're a sinner, this is your table, and the Holy Spirit will confirm it. You will know that as a sinner, you can experience grace because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus has been delivered to you by the Spirit, and that understanding enlarges your heart with joy, and you go, yes, I am a sinner, and yes, I am saved, and yes, I have a new life. That's what you say when you come to this table. You say yes to the Holy Spirit, and you ask for that Spirit now to fill you and to conquer you and to run in you all your days. Amen? That's what we're doing here. And we're saying every week we need the Spirit because we believe the Holy Spirit is here in this table to give us Jesus. (laughs) That's what he does. That's what he does. He's about to leave the disciples, and he goes, from now on, you will see me, (laughs) even though he's not there because of the Spirit. Look around. Why do we all take this together? Because this is the Spirit in this. That's why we always take it together. Because we acknowledge the Holy Spirit meets with us in it. It's not just us individually. Amen. And praise Him. Now, um, if you don't know Jesus, uh, then this is not your table. And, 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 you know, I I make the caveat that good people, good people are the ones most in danger. Because a good person might have said today, gee, I like this Holy Spirit conversation. I can add the Holy Spirit on top of my goodness. I'm good. The Holy Spirit's good. We're all good. No, I'm sorry to say, no. That reflects, that's not from the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit says in a believer, I am a sinner saved by grace. That's what the Holy Spirit says. (laughs) I'm saved by grace though, and I'm a new creation. (laughs) Amen. The Holy Spirit exp- expresses schizophrenia in your mind, your spiritual experience. <laughs> Sinner and saint, right? But if you if you're think you're a good person, I'm sorry to tell you this is not your table or your meal. But uh, the third group, if you're a skeptic who, who finds these, the, these claims unsubstantiated, I say, I say to the skeptic, look around you. You, you have seen and you are witnesses to something that men can't create the love that's between us and this place. Praise him. But the skeptic, I say, watch and wait and see. Maybe someday you will come forward and know and taste too. All right. All right. That's, that was an invitation. That's an invitation. And, there's, and then we're going to... All right. Let's, uh, I, I'm very, very bad with details. Um, he's not the Holy Spirit of details. Come on, stand up. Thank heaven he is not the Holy Spirit of details. I'm very thankful for that. All right. Um, will you pro- now, will you proclaim to me mystery of faith? Christ, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Amen. So tell me, uh, oh, Christian brother and sister, uh, guests, uh, what, 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 what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty. 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.